Well, praise the Lord. Here we are again, ready to get into the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible to Mark chapter 16. Let's look at a very important topic, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16, I'll begin reading with verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at a meal, and he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not those that saw him after he was raised from the dead. So he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they'll cast out devils, speak with new tongues, they'll take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Great Commission. There are several things that we need to consider when we're looking at this. And we understand that this world is a very big place. We don't want to forget that when Jesus was here, he traveled within the confines of the promised land. So if you go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you realize God made a covenant with them to give them a certain portion of land right there on the eastern side of the uh, Mediterranean Sea. When Moses took the children of Israel into the promised land, he then divided that land up. And he knew which tribes should receive which portion of land. Joshua ultimately was the one that oversaw the division of the land to the different tribes. By the time Jesus comes along, because he's called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, his ministry took him around the, the boundaries and districts of the nation of Israel, which they would have called Palestine then. That means that as long as he was on the planet going to these different villages, he was with his disciples preaching the gospel in these various towns, even in some of the larger settings, he preached the kingdom of God, he healed the sick, he cast out devils, miracles took place, it was wonderful. He walked on water, he did the kind of miracles nobody else was able to do at that time. But once he ascended to heaven, or I should say prior to his ascension to heaven, he had a talk with 11 disciples, and the other gospels explained what he said to the greater mass of those that were yet with him. And in those final remarks, he talked to them, about their commission to go into the uttermost parts of the earth to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, which is the message of the kingdom of God. And they are to do that in order to bring salvation. Now, I have to emphasize in the, in the beginning part that when Jesus was here, there were a lot of religions on the earth. We forget that sometimes. In Africa, you had people that worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, the rocks, the trees. Buddhism was in the earth. Hinduism was in the earth. Some people that didn't have any religion at all, they were here on planet earth. You could have went northward towards Europe and you'd have found people that had all kinds of beliefs in various gods, Roman gods, Greek gods. Nevertheless, Jesus said very, very plainly, we're to go into all the world. I don't know how many countries were in existence at that time. I don't know how big the Roman Empire was as far as all of the various provinces, but I do know that as of right now, we have more than 200 nations on the planet. And that's not to mention how many different languages 
or the 6,000 languages and dialects. In Jesus' time, there probably were a lot more because there are probably a lot of tribes and languages that died out in the last 2,000 years. But when he says go into all the world, though he knows there are other kind of religions, he does not want those religions to multiply and come to dominate. He wants those beliefs to be supplanted by the message of the kingdom of God because he believes he's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by him. You say, preacher, that's narrow-minded. That's what he said. He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Don't be embarrassed by the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. That's what he said. I didn't say that. He said, well, I can't understand how he can be the only way. Look, I, I'm happy that God made a way at all. He could have left us all in sin. He didn't even have to make a way, but he did. And the scripture says there's no other name given among men under the heavens whereby we must be saved, except by the name of Jesus. If I must be saved, that speaks of obligation, so that means I may be saved. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So this is the beginning or the foundational scripture that deals with missions and evangelism. I have been to a lot of places. I've met a lot of people. I've probably forgotten more people than I can remember. But I do know this. There are cultures in this world that uh, for some people can have customs that are startling. But nevertheless, Jesus said, go to them. They speak languages that are not easy to, to apprehend or to learn. But Jesus said, go to them. So this, this little preacher has gone to the Far East. And, and do you realize over there in the Far East, they have beliefs and customs that are different than ours here in the West, here in America? That over in the Far East, you have, have people that when their ancestors pass away, they take the remains and put them on a shelf and they pray to those ancestors who have died. We don't do that here. But they do that in Shintoism over in Japan. But God so loved the Shintoists that he gave his only begotten son that they could come out of the Shinto religion. The Hindu religion, we don't even know how many gods they have. I, I had dinner with a man one time, and we were, we were over overseas, and, and he was a practicing Hindu. And I asked him one time, I said, tell me a little bit about your life, and what, why is it that you can't eat meat? And he was telling me about how a cow or, or some other kind of animal could be a relative. And since they believe in reincarnation, they can't eat that. And so I said, were you raised like that? He said, yeah. I said, how many rules and regulations are there that you have to keep? He said, oh, millions. He said, my dad, to give you an illustration, he said, my dad never leaves the house. He said, he hasn't left the house in over 14 years. My mom passed away a long time ago, but my dad stays in the house lest he break one of the rules of Hinduism and defiles himself. I said, well, how does he make a living? He said, well, myself and my brothers, we, we have a pretty good lifestyle. I own a bunch of grocery stores. I'll make a good, a good wage. And so we pay so that my dad can stay home and be holy. I said, well, if he has to stay home to be holy and, and in order to keep from breaking all of these laws, how can you sit here with me at the table and you not defile yourself? He said, well, I guess I, I never thought about it like that. Well, can you imagine having a life that is restricted in that way? Jesus knew that these kinds of things were going on, and nevertheless, he said, go to these people. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. And when people go as a missionary, uh, sometimes they don't come back. You, you don't read where Jesus ever said, come back. He just said, go. 
Now, we do short-term missions, and I go preach a little bit and come back from overseas, but there are a whole lot of people that, that when they go, they stay. And, and I've met people that, that when they went on the mission field back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you couldn't furlough every year. And, and planes didn't operate. Ships didn't take them back and forth. They didn't have that kind of money. So they came home once every six years, sometimes once every decade. And those grandkids... I mean, they'd just about be ready for junior high school before grandma and grandpa ever got a chance to meet them. All of that for the call of the gospel. Now, that's foreign to you, and you may not be able to understand that because you, you probably couldn't believe or couldn't bear with the thought that you could be cut off from family for such a long time. But, but there are a whole lot of people in the history of this world that have given themselves to preaching that gospel to people like that. There's a great book. And if you can ever get your hands on it, it's about, written by a man named H.B. Garlock. It's called To Kill and Eat You. And it's all about his ministry back in the 20s, going into West Africa to open that area up for the gospel and preaching to cannibals. Can you imagine that? Cannibals. People that eat those who are deceased. You, you say, Pastor, does that still go on today? You better believe it goes on today. I was at a wedding in East Africa not too long ago, and a, a missionary from East Africa who was working in the Congo, he, he was telling me about laboring down there where he works, and he told me, he was telling me about the little pygmy people. Now, you know, pygmies, they're little tiny folks, and, and they've got the enlarged head. So they got a body that's slender, but then they got that head that, that's, that's really big, and it's, it, it's, it's not in proportion to their body type. And they live, they live out in the forest, and that's where they have to live to protect themselves. And they live by killing wild animals to this day. That's how they live right now. And this gentleman was telling me that they're down there preaching to these people because there's this certain tribe that they, they target the pygmy because they believe the pygmy's meat, their skin, that, that is medicinal. And they, they try to catch them and kill them so that they can eat them because they believe that their body will provide those helpful medicines that they need in order to live out there. I'm telling you right now, God said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. That may be repugnant to you as it is to a whole lot of other people, but somebody's got to go. Somebody has to go, folks. And the people whose hearts are touched, they go. They go. I think it was J. Oswald Smith that made the statement, somebody has to go, but if you won't go, you're required to send somebody. I don't know if I put the obligation that strong, but I do think we ought to help everybody who wants to go and who's helping, and who's, who's doing this. So into all the world means you're going to cross boundaries, you're going to go and meet different customs, be involved with different cultures. I, I've sat at the uh, restaurants at night where when I look on the menu, it says cat, it says rat, and it says bat. Yeah, I, I've seen that, seen, that, seen that on the menu. I was just not too long ago in the country where... The, the way that people out here have livestock, that they have pent up, that they'll butcher and, and have that beef and that meat later on in the year. First time in my life I've ever seen anybody raise canines in order to butcher them to eat. But I was there, and I was preaching the gospel to them. In the will of God, the scripture said, go and preach the gospel. So this is the foundational text for missionary work 
And it's because of verse 15 that people will go and endure hardship and hardness in order to proclaim God's word. So what are they preaching? Salvation to the believer? Damnation to the unbeliever? You can see it in verse 16. He that believes and is baptized, they're saved. The one that doesn't believe, they're damned. Think about it. So the message of salvation says, if you believe upon Jesus Christ, you can be redeemed out of your iniquity and out of your sins, and then your life can be changed, and you are saved, saved from sin, saved to righteousness. That means you can go to heaven now. Now that's, I mean, that's good news. If, if I had to choose where I want to spend eternity, I think heaven starts looking pretty good, you know, when you, in consideration of what the scripture says about a, a place like, like hell. But the older people get, I've noticed that eternal things start appearing on that radar. Because the older you get, the more you spend time at funerals. Your peers are passing away. People older than you are passing away. The gospel is clear. Salvation to the one that believes. Now, why is damnation such a terrible thing? Because you, you, sh- you don't have to go to hell. You-, you can choose God. You can choose life. Why be damned when you can choose to be saved? The man who is guilty of a crime, and then they hold a trial in court, even though he's not there. He can be sentenced to incarceration in his absence. Now, they just held the trial. The evidence was presented. The judge heard everything. And then, she, then he or she came down with a verdict and said, I sentenced this person to such and such. So the day you find him, that person can end up, end up, end up in jail. But something similar is what's going on right now. You may say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. It doesn't really matter. The scripture makes it very plain. He that believes not is damned already, condemned already. That's the gospel, John chapter 3, verses 18, 19, 20, coming on down further. So the verdict has been given over on a person's life, even though they don't recognize that there's already been a trial. So again... He that doesn't believe is in trouble. Yeah, is in trouble. Is in trouble. So we're, we're doing what we can to bring people to a place of faith. And this is why the Great Commission is so important. Six billion, seven billion people on the planet. I don't know. The number just keeps going up. Over 330 million people here in, a, in America. There's a lot of folks here. And, and there are a lot of people that don't believe in God. And there are many people who say they do believe in God, and they don't even know they don't believe in God. That, that, that makes it even worse. That means that the ignorance is compounded by the fact that they have falsely put their faith in things that cannot save them. So what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the blood of Jesus? Are you trusting in the cross? Are you trusting in what Christ has done for you? Once you are saved, you're on your way to heaven. If you die without God, Draw that last breath, denying the king. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now, now this is a horrible thought, and it's not meant to be a positive thing, but, but imagine this. If, if, if we could pull back the floor covering where you are right now, 
and God could open up your eyes to, to the many, many, many people that, that are lost in hell right now. And just for a second and a half, allow you to hear those, those very anguished cries and screams. You'd understand why the gospel is so important. I, I heard a man say one time, when he was talking about uh, somebody that he had to go visit in the hospital. They were sick. The man had cancer in his throat and in his mouth. So his tongue was swollen up, hanging out of his mouth, and it was discolored and had all kinds of swellings and stuff like that on there. Preacher said he got to the bedside, and he said that man was just groaning and moaning. He was in so much agony and pain. And the preacher said he got down close to him and, and just prayed a little prayer. It was just hard to look at him because he had that problem. But he said as he was praying for him and listening to that man in all of that pain, he said a, a, an impression, a voice came to his heart, and he knew it was God, and he said the voice said to him, there's not a man in hell that wouldn't trade places with him for five minutes. Think about that. As much pain as he's in with that cancer in his mouth, God said that torment he's going through is incomparable to the kinds of torments people are dealing with down in the place of damnation. Heaven is the opposite of all of that. It's a place of bliss and joy and happiness and peace and excessive excitement. Oh, my goodness, I can't wait to get there. It's going to be wonderful. I have a new body. I have new, new attire. I'll see people I hadn't seen in a long time. I'll meet people I've never met but always wanted to meet. Heaven is going to be a wonderful thing. And you've heard people say sometimes there are people who are too heavenly minded to be earthly good. I've never met a person like that. I am entirely heavenly minded. I am ready to go see the king. If the trumpet of God sounded right now and the church was called away, I could promise you right now, as many lost people that I know of in my family and here down on planet Earth, their condition does not exceed the desire that I have in my heart to be with God. I want to see him face to face. I want to walk with God. The Great Commission makes that possible. But here's something else that's important. Baptism in water. That's an outward testimony and witness. That's part of the Great Commission. If we're going to tell people they need to become Christian, then we want them to be able to solidify it by going down in the water, coming up and letting everybody know this is what God has done in my life. That's the plan. And this is the example. Jesus baptized, his disciples baptized. In the book of Acts, they baptized. All of them made sure to go down in that water and come on back up. See, Put the body down. Romans 6, type of the immersion of what goes on in Christ. Around the world, there are some nations where they don't even recognize your conversion to Christianity until you are baptized. They'll say you can call yourself a secret Christian or whatever you want to call yourself. But they want to see you go down in that water. They're not saying the water saves. But they want to see for themselves, with your family as witnesses and friends as witnesses, that you are truly involved with this Christian faith. So when a Muslim becomes a Christian, someone from another religion becomes a Christian, this is why they get rid of their Muslim names, get rid of those names their parents gave them sometime, and they'll take a Christian name. So they think a Christian name is a name like John, or they'll take a Christian name like Benjamin and get rid of the name Ahmed or something like that. I don't make a big deal about that, but I do think baptism is essential. Now, 
We're not saying it saves you, but we are saying it's essential. It's a beautiful testimony. I know there are people who believe in baptismal regeneration. They're under the impression that you are not saved until water is put on you or you go down in the water. That's error. There's not a verse in the Bible that teaches that. You say, well, I thought you just read, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. It does say that. But listen to what it does not say. It does not say he that believeth not and is not baptized is damned. See, the key issue is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Great Commission is all about. So the, the next thing then that's important is uh, with the Great Commission, the manifestation of these sign gifts or the power of God. Now you say, why are these things important? I don't know how important they are. I just know they're normal in the Christian life where the gospel is proclaimed. I have no idea why it is that, that in our ministry we, we have uh, so many of, of these, these, these little things that, that crop up in the meetings we have. So, so think about it. Verse 17, it said, These signs shall follow them that believe. Not they will follow the preacher. It doesn't say they will follow a priest. It doesn't say they're going to follow the elders of the church. It doesn't say they're going to follow the deacons. It says they're going to follow those that believe. So the man or woman that believes, the man or woman that trusts God, the man or woman that believes that God's going to do something wonderful and powerful and believes that God will do it right now, they have the expectation that these things could occur. You can read the book of Acts and see where these things happen. There's nothing in the text of Scripture that leads us to believe at any point these would cease. Matthew 24, 14 said, This gospel shall be preached. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached for a witness in all the world, and then the end shall come. That means that right up until the Lord comes, the gospel will be preached. It also says to us in Matthew chapter 28 that you're going to preach this gospel around the world, and I am with you until the end of the age. So two things. The gospel has to be preached until the end. Jesus is going to be with us till the end. If Jesus is with us till the end, we can expect these things to occur sometimes. I'm not saying all the time, but I am saying sometimes. In my name, they'll cast out devils. I hope you never have to be in a meeting where a devil manifests itself. But unfortunately, I've been there. and I've had to deal with them. I've seen over and over again the appearance of evil when it sticks up its head and someone has to take authority over it. It's important to know how to do that. So the power is in the name of Jesus. It's not just in you not understanding what's going on. And I've met a whole lot of people involved with missions who go to foreign nations and they don't even believe that devils are in people today. Poor things don't even know what to do when it happens. So I probably better give you at least one illustration where this has happened uh, with me in America. I was preaching one time in a, in a place, and the pastor picked me up and drove me to the house, well, not to the house, to his church. We got there that Sunday morning. As soon as we pulled up in the parking lot in his truck, the, a little lady came running up to his side of the uh, car, and, and, and he said when she was running towards me, oh, my goodness, he sighed and said, oh, I don't feel like dealing with her. 
So when she's, she's banging on that, that window, he wouldn't roll the window down. So she came around to where I was. I got out, got out of the vehicle, and, and she said, are you the preacher today? I said, yes. She said, I'm tormented. I'm tormented. I'm tormented. Can you pray for me? I need deliverance. Will you pray for me? And I said, well, are you going to be in the meeting? She said, yes. I said, I'll pray for you after I'm done. Well, I got up and preached that morning. She never did sit down during the whole service. She was up walking around the sanctuary in the back, come up down the aisle. I mean, just a total distraction as I was trying to minister. Well, when it's all over, I then said to the congregation, this lady came up to us in the parking lot. She's wanting prayer. So brought the lady down in front of everybody. Now, you can imagine the congregation was every bit as quiet as any, as any Lutheran service you've ever been in in your life. I'm telling you, it wasn't a sound. Nobody said anything. They're just watching. And I brought this lady down. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. And I reached, stick, stick, stick my hand out, and I said, well, first let me have you do this. I said, I want you to shout Jesus' name loud as you can. She tried to shout. It couldn't even get to come out of her mouth. It just sounded like a tiny whisper, just all bound up on the inside. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. Stuck my hand out to pray for her. She fell out on her back in front of everybody. Oh, she's writhing, twisting all this contorted looks and stuff. I said in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And I just kept saying it, come out of her. Brought some of the other folks in the church up. God healed her. Well, come to find out, she's a prostitute on drugs. She was tired of the way her pimp had her living a lifestyle. But she came into that church, something in her, something she had heard. She thought, maybe a church can help me. But she got there on the day when a guest preacher was there. And in front of everybody, that whole church watched as I had that lady sit up after she was delivered. I said, I want you to shout Jesus' name loud as you can. Now, she shouted it loud as she could. It just came roaring out, said the name of Jesus, fell over, and God saved her and changed her. Now, you say, well, I, I, I've never seen anything like that. Well, I can't do anything about what you've seen. I can only tell you this is what goes on. Uh, don't be surprised if, if people don't show up in, in, in your service or around you or ask you to pray for them. If you tell them all your life you don't believe God does that, why should anybody ask you to pray for them? But I've had them listening to that radio broadcast every Sunday morning. I've had people get in that car, drive five hours just to get to a Sunday morning service to ask me if I'd lay hands on somebody in their family. I've had them been on that Highway 80 driving across the state. They hear that broadcast, broadcast, they get off at that exit that takes them down through Hastings, headed toward Red Cloud, and they try to get there as fast as they can, only to get there and find me, my wife, and sometimes four or five people left there, and they want prayer. I'm telling you, folks, these things are never going to cease as long as that gospel is preached the right way. But it's one of those situations where it's according to your faith, be it unto you. If you don't believe it, you don't have to worry about it. But it's never going to change what's going on in the ministry or the life of people like us. Our church is always prepared for this. In Jesus' name, set the captives free. And here's where we'll hang our hat and we'll conclude. Verse 19 makes it very plain. After the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. You would have thought the disciples would have gotten nervous, discouraged. It says they went forth and preached everywhere. They did what he told them to do. And the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. If we do what he tells us to do, then we, will can, we can expect he will accomplish through us everything he has commanded us to do. If you've got one of those Bibles, 
that has an asterisk by the last 12 verses of Mark 16, and it says these verses aren't in the oldest text of Scripture, and we shouldn't believe in them. Just don't pay any, any mind to those foolish people that put that thing in there. I'll just buy you another Bible. I can promise you this. These verses are in the oldest text of Scripture. May not, be in the, may not be in that particular manuscript that your scholars used when they put it all together. But I'm not preaching from that book. I'm preaching from that book that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter, and James, all of them proclaim. I don't care anything about what some 19th century scholar said about what we should believe about the book when they didn't believe in it. So let's stand on the word, folks. God's got good things he's doing for us. All around the world, the Great Commission is being carried out. God's going to continue to use us in these last days. God bless you, and we'll see you and talk to you again soon. Praise the name of the Lord.